Hello, it's Dawn, and this is my podcast, Conversations. It's a variety show about real life stuff, and there's something on here for everybody. So if that sounds good to you, let's go. Hi, Natasha. Hi. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for being on. I appreciate your time. Welcome. And um, we can just get right to it if you're ready. Absolutely. Let's go for it. Okay. So you are a counselor and an author. And my question to start, when you became a counselor, did you get into the whole topic of death because people kept coming to you about that? Or what made you go down the path of talking about death? Mm, interesting way of framing the question. <laughs> um, <laughs> so basically, counseling is just one of the things I do. I am actually a clinical hypnotherapist. And um, that that's, you can put it that way, that that's just my qualification. Um, okay, I've reached this stage now that I have like so much experience of so many different aspects of life, of healing, of self-awareness, of self-worth. Um, that I've decided to roll it all into one and sort of like just mentor people who are on their self-awareness journey. Um, I lost my mother when I was very young. I've uh, seen a lot of death firsthand up close. And um, I realized that I'd been exposed to it enough that I could actually, uh, you know, take this up as my mission, that we need to have more conversations about this for ourselves and for our loved ones, both really Dawn, you know? Yes, right. Well, and I feel like um, going through the death process, people kind of give themselves a hard time. Like they think that there's a certain amount of time that they should be grieving, you know, like, oh, I should uh -huh. be grieving by now. I shouldn't still be feeling like this. Why do you think that exactly. is? Um, It's probably part of um, there's the there's a lot of social pressure. The one of the things that I've also encountered uh, after I undertook my mission was uh, basically the lack of community. Now, compared to early, you know the earlier days when everybody was woven together so tightly. So when there was a loss, it was the whole community's loss. Everybody would hold each other and support each other now we get pretty isolated in our grief and people who are involved in the death let's say it's a grandchild right mm -hmm. the grandparents are grieving but as they heal they will expect their daughter to heal fast as well okay people don't give space to each other's pace of grieving and there's no set timelines it can take weeks it can take months it can take it can take years also the seven stages of grief don't get completed stage by stage it's not a linear process right you bounce up and down in between the different stages and one of the stages is denial one of the stages is grief and those stages keep us locked in into the process of feeling we should we could you know, that, that energy comes from those two stages. So that's why it's important to have these conversations. So this awareness that if I, if I am going through a huge change or I've had a loss, it could be a small loss, like, um, you know, the death of a job or the death of a relationship 
or it could be a big death, death with a capital D. But when you realize that you're a little more irritated than usual, or you're finding yourself flaring up, or you're impatient with yourself that why haven't I gotten over this already, then that's all coming from the anger stage of grief. And with awareness comes choice. With choice, you um, you can decide whether you want to stay in that stage or, you know, realize, accept that that's what's happening and then just let it flow through you and, you know, um, just feel the experience. Right. You know, I, I have an interesting uh, way that I experienced my dad's death. He died um, the February before COVID. Well, during COVID, basically. And so um, our family's very close and we were not able to get together for our normal, you know, family gatherings because of COVID. And part of that was a blessing and part of it was a curse. Cause I feel like if we would have been able to get together, we were all so raw and it would have been like just right in our faces that he wasn't there. So it was kind of nice to have that first year of not having family gatherings, but probably the worst thing for us was to not be together, to grieve yeah. together. So it's so interesting that you say that, um, that it, it used to be more of a community thing. I wonder how that went away, like how that dissipated, because that's the way it should be. It really should. So basically what, you know, it is, it is, it is an interesting phenomenon, but basically it's, it's as we've moved into the nuclear family structures, and away from the whole tribe thing. And we make our own communities now. And what has happened, what I have, what I basically call it is the hierarchy of grief. So now when we have a funeral, then you have people coming and paying their condolences to, there's a hierarchy, right? There's a widow or a widower, there's the children, maybe brothers, sisters, right? Parents, and those people get condolences but they don't ever give them back. Now, every person who's come to the funeral has come because they had a relationship with the person. Right. And that, uh, that, that part that goes unacknowledged, that, so the only thing that we do when we see somebody else's loss is we are there for them. We uh, show up for them. We imagine what they must be going through. We don't process our own loss. And that is one of the biggest lies out there because even if I'm a newspaper vendor to a gentleman, every single morning we exchange words, we're friendly, we, have, we smile at each other, we ask about each other's families. We have a relationship. It's a loss, right? And yeah. that is the community I'm talking about. So now, nowadays, as you, as you know, that we, we're basically, each of us, as we evolve, we attract our own tribe to make sure that, you know, that they're there for us when we need support. Yeah. Do you think that people are afraid to talk about death or afraid of death because then they have to confront their own death? Is that, do you think, is, is that where it stems from? I think so. Definitely yeah. so. Um, and it's a monster that feeds itself because um, most people are uncomfortable talking about it. And so therefore it's easily sort of, you know, not spoken about um if you bring it up the subject around you know i found myself really don't feeling like really cheeky i actually write uh, that's the word that i use like uh, <laughs> I, was, I was just the other day I, I was traveling and i went and met my mother's um one of her closest friends 
So she's in her uh, mid 70s. And so, you know, I told her, I said, oh, I'm a published author now and I write about death. And she just looks at me and she goes, why? So I said, why not? <laughs> so she said, I don't want to talk about this. So I said, what do you mean? So she's like, I still haven't written my will. So I said, well, you should. And then you won't believe, Dawn, we had the most amazing conversation. She started telling me about her life, about the different losses that she incurred. And I've known her my whole life, but I never knew these stories, right? Wow. How her, you know, mother-in-law lost a child when he was so young and, you know, all sorts of things just poured out from her. And this is the woman who started off the conversation by saying she didn't want to talk about it. And here I'm talking to somebody who's <laughs> old, right? Right. I mean, my mother died 35 years ago and she was her best friend. So, you know, um, I felt so cheeky, but I'm so proud <laughs> of myself that I'm doing this because I love the conversation that we had. And if she does go and write her will, I'll be all the more happier for it, you know? Right. Yeah, I know. After my dad died, we went to the funeral home and this lady was talking to us about um, that worked there. And she was telling us, you know, people plan their honeymoons. They plan vacations and graduations and weddings, but they never sit and plan for one of the biggest events that happens in their life, which is their death. And I never thought about it like that. I love it. I love it. I love what she said to you. Yeah, it's so true. Um, but I think it's just because we all think we have another day. We, we have, I'll worry about that tomorrow. I'll worry about that next week. Not thinking it could happen in a half an hour. You know, we always exactly. think that we have time with our loved ones. So that was um, when I listened to a different podcast that you were on and you had talked about your mom passing, but you had said something really beautiful about how that changed your relationship of how you felt with your dad. And can you talk about that? Because I just loved the message, if you know what I'm talking about. So with my, with my mother, when she died, I was so young. Um, I didn't really understand anything about anything. Um, my father and her had a, um, they had a tumultuous relationship towards the end. That's why I believe that my mother died of a broken heart rather than the medical diagnosis of leukemia. Um, and so what happened to me immediately after she died was the whole anger that I felt that, like I mentioned, the, uh, the stage of grief, anger. I was so angry. Plus, I was 16. So I was hormonal that anyway. Right. And um, I basically took up my mother's um, battle because she literally told me about his infidelity two weeks before she died. Oh, um, and gosh. So, yes. So I was <laughs> basically like, you know. <laughs> up, exactly I was up in arms and I was fighting her battle for months and for years and then my father and to top it all off my father's a narcissist was a narcissist he passed away a year ago okay, um, I'm sorry so um thank you so basically um it, it, it was very difficult uh my relationship with him but what happened with me um, in the last year with my father, he wasn't like, he wasn't like ill or like, we didn't know he was going to die. There was no, there was no, there was no heads up. He wasn't sick that way. He just had whatever, you know, old age stuff happening and that's it. And, but because of my self-awareness, I reached a point where I decided to let everything of the past go. Everything. His narcissistic drama, my mother's drama, every single thing, I just let it go. And he and I, in the last year of his life, 
we had the most amazing relationship. Mm. And when he died, which was November before last, um, I just had the most amazing grieving process. I constantly kept on checking with myself. Am I in denial? Am I, what, what's happening? You know, mm-hmm. I kept on checking with myself. And it was just so easy because the acceptance and the surrender to the process that this is life. People die and it's okay to feel sad that we can't make new memories, but we have all the old ones. Right. And they're so precious. And you know, Don, what you were saying, basically people are scared because they don't know when and how. And that sort of information not being available is what freaks people out because people need to know. They want to know. Yeah, we want yes. that control of every situation in our lives. Yeah, and that is scary. Then if you know you have no control, then you're that promotes fear, I'm sure. How how do you suggest letting go? I mean, it, how long of a process did that take for you to let go? For me, it was 35 years. Oh, <laughs> long time. <laughs> yes, it was. But then again, it's because... Like I said, everybody, everybody's unique. It, it, I think it took that long because I was so young. Um, and there was the whole growing up to do. There was the whole living my own life to, to do as well, right? And definitely coming onto the self-awareness journey has been instrumental. So for people who embark on that journey earlier, it shouldn't take as long, I, I believe. I, I definitely want to go back to that self-awareness journey thing in a minute. But did you have siblings? I do. I have a younger brother and a younger sister. So how did they handle it? Did all three of you kids handle the deaths of each of your parents differently? Absolutely. <laughs> so and what, that dynamic is interesting to me, too. Like you grow up under the same roof, but you all must have just a different relationship with each other. So that promotes a different reaction. Absolutely. So what what basically happened was that uh, like, so my brother's three years younger than me and my sister's three years younger than him. So both of them were quite tiny when uh, when first first my mother fell sick when I was 14 mm-hmm. and then she passed away when I was 16. So my the youngest sibling was like, you know, just 10. Um, and both of them sort of like looked towards me to be, you know, sort of their is uh, substitute mother mm-hmm. and I don't know where I got that self-awareness from but I said uh-uh nothing doing I'm your sister I'm <laughs> your mother and I have my own life and I'm gonna go out with boys and party and I'm not staying home to look after you guys right. somehow Dawn I knew very very clearly that if I took them under my wing my life would my life would become limited and the same one this the same Children that you look after who aren't really your children. They're just they're just youngsters. They're not your children. But if you bring them up like that, then one day they will turn around and say, who are you to say anything to me? That's going right. to happen yeah. when they get, get our teenager and hormonal. So I wasn't having any of it. And in a way that would, that self-preservation worked for me a lot. But as a result, what happened is my relationship with my siblings suffered. Um, as adults... We have uh, tried to become friends and just love and respect each other for, you know, just the sake that we are siblings. My yeah. The youngest, yeah. unfortunately, got into drugs as her escape. 
So that's made things really bad. Did you guys all come together when your dad passed? We did for the for the funeral, um, and uh, we tried to reestablish. I mean, of course, myself and my brother were fine, but both myself and my brother have a, a tenacious relationship at best with my sister mm. because my father, like I mentioned, because he was a narcissist, what he did with her was he used her drug habit to keep her, keep her dependent on him so that she would stay near him. Oh, wow. So he's completely destroyed her. And myself and my brother have been giving my dad the heads up for the last 10 years. We've, we gave, we offered all our support for the rehab, for the rehabilitation. He was least interested. And now she's so damaged, obviously, because, you know, the drugs do a number to your brain. So you, you start thinking differently. Your reality completely shifts. And so like the the reason that the whole drug rehabilitation is so difficult is because their brain wiring is different each each person's and then you don't know what's real you don't know what's not real which yeah. is why you know you have specialists that that deal with ex addicts and not not like any normal counselor can't just because they lie yeah yeah well and that has to be so debilitating for you to feel like you i mean in the you being a counselor you know that you could help her so much but she's going a different path she's going her own way yes so accepting that and letting that go right because there's also another thing um you know about family that just because we're off blood do we really have to stick it through thick and thin do we really have to have like no boundaries? Do they really not have to be accountable for what they do? Mm -hmm. You know, I really think that that's something that we can, we can visit. Like their actions have consequences and I don't think blood should get into the way of that, but that's right. just me. I've just had so much like devastation in my life that I can't be done with a lot of the human drama. If that makes sense. Yeah. I, I have realized that my responsibility now, finally to, for, for me now that my responsibility is to myself if I don't work on myself if I have unhealed parts of me I'm not doing anyone any good by trying to show up and do the right thing and be all nice and sweet you know <laughs> really it just it doesn't yeah make any sense. it doesn't and and really that's the only thing you have control over anyway is how you show up and how you react and how you deal with people so that makes sense you can't control who you are related to <laughs> that's just what you're exactly and you know it, it wouldn't it be wonderful if each person took this kind of self-responsibility and transformed then if everyone did it then the world would be a different place so it's one person at a time. If I can, if I can just change myself, I believe I fulfill my purpose right. of being alive right now. So this, okay. So now let's, let's touch on this self-awareness journey. Um, where does someone begin on that? Or what do you start reading books? Do you go to church? Like where, where do you start with that whole process? If you really want to just become self-aware and become better. So again, everybody's unique. The I love quoting that line, you know, that all roads lead to Rome. Each person just needs to 
realize that the truth is inside them it's not outside mm-hmm. so the biggest the biggest mistake that we all do um by and large is try seeking it outside right um and the outside is there for sure to help the inside because whatever is within is without every person needs to figure what works for them if it's books it's books it's church it's church but going to church shouldn't be a ritual of mm-hmm. just going to church it means when you go to church you actually listen to what the pastors saying you actually reference what's written in the bible and you try to understand what is being said in that sermon and maybe not just what that woman or that man might be preaching because that's also their point of view you need to then make it your own how does that apply to your life how does that lesson or that parable work in the reality you know as your own reality and that's how the self reflection starts you could do yoga you could do breath work you could learn reiki or go to a reiki practitioner you can go to therapy there's like a thousand different and nowadays don compared to like when i was growing up the none of these available right like yeah and now uh, yeah. every corner there's some wellness some something 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 retreat this that there's so much going on there's so much support if you just reach out yeah and it it can be kind of overwhelming at all the options but at least you know there's options out there um when you went back to saying about um how everything that's going on in the inside reflects on the outside that whole concept blows my mind like i start thinking <laughs> about it it's just like ah! What does that mean to you? Like, I do you think that anything that is happening on the outside is because it's trying to teach you a lesson? It's something that's uh-huh. there, like a schooling type of situation where you're learning as you go. Yes. Okay. Absolutely. It's, it's so I believe that those reflections sometimes they're tests, sometimes they're uh, challenges. So the difference is so a test comes along when you have done like this is my personal experience. like as i was working on myself and as i was you know so this 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 phase i'm talking about was when i was studying hypnotherapy mm-hmm. and so whatever i was studying i was applying onto myself and a lot of shifts and things were happening um as i went along and i would find whatever i've just shifted the exact opposite of that would show up in my life So I started realizing that pattern as a test from my subconscious mind or universe or source or god whatever word you choose to put into the sentence was testing me to see have you really shifted or are you going to revert back to your program behavior Okay so can you the- give me an example So um basically what we talk about triggers and buttons that's mm-hmm. that's pre pre program behavior so let's say somebody says something that really irritates you um and you find yourself being all healed and feeling all complete but then that another person says the same thing to you and you react the same way as you did before got it then that is basically a test that you have failed <laughs> because <laughs> 
you should not be reacting like that if you really have genuinely shifted and again just like the grieving process this is something that you know you go back and forward you um you learn then you relearn and then you slip up and then you learn again and then finally one day the lesson sets in and again everyone um will learn at their own pace and i understand what you're saying about things outside there being overwhelming but at least to cultivate an interest in it and start experimenting with different things just for the fun of it right because it's actually not as dire as i'm making it seem it's not as heavy like right. the self-awareness basically just means that we are aware that we're in the human body that we are aware that we are alive today we are aware that we are going to die one day and in the meantime we have to live the best life possible right Mm-hmm. all religions speak about the same thing about being good about being honest about you know showing up as the best version of yourself right so if we can do that and we on the day that we die if we have had no regrets i believe that's a life really well led and whatever takes you there so there's another thing i like to say like my grandmother she died who i was extremely close to my mother's mother she died at the age of 88 in this april this, this april will be 5 years mm-hmm. and my grandmother reached that self awareness in as she grew older right that whole thing of like wisdom that we used to talk about on the elders so it comes automatically also with age yeah, yeah. i could see that but we don't know how long we're going to live so we need to like you know sort of you know because you know i want to go back to what you asked me about uh about how i got onto this journey so yes it started with my mother um and then i saw all these uh, different deaths what accelerated it for me was covid and in that i'm sorry for the loss of your father too thank um, you and you know so we both lost our fathers at the same time basically mm-hmm. um that february uh he was his 75th birthday and the february you lost your dad and it was my dad's 75th birthday and he actually came to visit me and uh once he went back is when the full lockdown happened so my coming to see me was the last time he like traveled so that was just like really really uh precious when i saw during the pandemic left and right people of all stages of life irrespective of you know age or health just dropping like flies and then people like my father who were like businessmen financial people led their lives so planned the mess they left their affairs in oh my goodness mm. that's when i that's when i took it up as a mission so it wasn't so my mission doesn't come from an emotional um part my 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 message is not about oh let's sit and talk about the afterlife oh let's philosophize about life or death whenever anyone tries to have that conversation with me i just say that listen that is for each person to figure out that's not what i'm talking about i'm talking about the fact that you need to wake up look into the mirror like i did in the pandemic i looked into the mirror one day dawn in my own eyes and i found that i was really scared cuz i was like if people are dying everywhere tomorrow it could be me you know and i freaked out i was looking into my own eyes and i saw so much fear i started crying and then i was just like oh my goodness this is bad this is really bad because 
you cannot as a as a hypnotherapist i know you cannot have so much fear on a certain subject without falling sick it's gonna happen so oh. it, and uh, and fear of death is around your lungs and your respiratory system basically so i was like oh my goodness i need to process this quickly because this is really bad so then i sat and i grieved for myself i um there's a beautiful mantra in hinduism called the mahamitranjaya mantra and it basically talks about when my time comes may i disengage from this life as beautifully as a ripe cucumber disengages from its stem and i started focusing on that i'm like yes the time will come when the time comes let it come with ease and grace let it come with ease and grace i accept this i accept this i did that to myself then i looked at the people around me and i thought in my head i'm going to lose each and every one of them i don't know when so let me be as loving as possible to the people who are alive around me with my dad in his last year with my friends with my family and that's also a reason why i'm able to now really draw my boundaries strongly because one day nature is just going to draw the boundary otherwise and you'll just be full of regrets right oh my gosh what a wonderful message so do you think um okay you've got the reiki and the hypnotherapy and counseling and all that stuff do you think that's i mean that's all wonderful but do you think the ideal thing is to go within sit with yourself meditate absolutely more than anything else see i don't know about meditation per se because i don't actually like uh, labels God, thank you for saying <laughs> So you can so meditation I'm not talking about sitting cross legged on a yoga mat you can find meditation in anything that you do with great concentration and love so if you like for example if you love cooking and you actually immerse yourself in the cooking experience instead of doing it on autopilot then that's a form of meditation okay if you you know people i've i've written that i've written about this in my um recently published book called mindset mastery it just released on the 22nd of january and there i talk about taking up the adult coloring books you know oh. the mosaiki really complicated ones they have nowadays and you start coloring it is so amazing it transports you a back to your childhood because of all the colors and you know right. it brings back a lot of like positivity and it's hypnotic because it's the same thing over and over and it's very intricate and that helps you focus and that's what meditation is your mind will start wandering and then you can follow its thoughts Mm, and that's so simple cuz i think mm -hmm. i overthink meditating like you said i like i sit there and i'm like okay i need i'm some, supposed to see all these colors and lights and and angels are going to come down <laughs> like i think all these things are going to happen and then when i'm just sitting there and i start thinking about all the things i need to be doing instead of just yes. sitting there then it's like i feel like i've just wasted my time so it can be frustrating i'm the same way I yeah. completely understand you. So like if you love gardening, then garden gardening is your meditation. Like whatever you whatever you really enjoy doing, that is that you do more of and you do with mindfulness, being completely present with it. And that that's how it transforms into meditation. Mm. Okay, so yeah, go ahead and promote yourself. I want to talk about your your book you just released and uh what's that all about? 
So the first book that I wrote, so I have basically been a part of uh, anthologies, collaborations. So each of the books that I'm talking about are 25 authors um, writing 25 stories. So I love this whole concept because there's something for everyone rather than someone picking up a book by a solo author, hating it and putting it down. Right. Here you can just open a new chapter. Everybody are, is from, you know, they may or may not be healers as such, but they're definitely out there in the world trying to do something different. And these are the authors that have come together from around the world. Um, so the first chapter was released last August. Well, the first book, <laughs> my chapter in the book called Wealth Codes, which I would love to give uh, my chapter to your listeners oh, if they hey. email me. Um, Natasha at mind-bodyspeak.com and in the chapter if they write Dawn WC11 I will send them the PDF of my chapter and if they like it they can buy the whole book it's available oh, on Amazon that's awesome yeah and I'll put that all in the show notes so that people don't have to remember that <laughs> awesome thanks yes. so basically that book is it's called Wealth Codes Sacred Strategies for Abundance and I write chapter 11 called The Beauty of the Endgame, Finding Abundance Through Accepting Death. So that's how I formally started my mission to talk about death in that chapter. Okay. Once I did that, once that book got released and I suddenly found myself being a published author, I had a phenomenal full-bodied shift in my whole awareness that made me really focus on change. So Mindset Mastery, which is the book that came out on the 22nd of January, is all about that, all about change. And that's when I realized that change and loss, like we spoke about at the beginning of this conversation, goes through the same process as the grieving process of the big death. So therefore, it's all connected. And then I got an opportunity to be part of a, a children's book, which is coming out in uh, May. And I found myself, I was just going to write about sibling rivalry, like me and my, <laughs> me and my brother, like how I tried to murder him when he was newborn and I was three years old. <laughs> but Don, you won't believe the story actually turned into a story about change. And I was like, dude, I really have found my mission now. I found my place. Oh, and that's awesome. so everything comes together in this in this sandbox for me. So the small debts, the big debts, change, grief. So I like to now refer to it as the process and not necessarily just the grieving process. Like it's the process of change. Oh my gosh, that's wonderful. Because you do have kind of the same reactions to grief as you do, you know, to so many other change and so many other things in life. You grieve all types of things. So that's amazing. Absolutely. And, and you know, there's, there is a misunderstanding which people are preferring to not course correct because it's, it's just convenient. Like people have put grief and sadness as synonyms. But yeah. they're not. They're two completely different emotions, right? So when there's a grieving process, it's not a process of sadness only. There's there's six other stages. The grief, the sadness, the depression, that is only one stage. 
Yeah, and there's hope. Hope is one of the stages, right? Isn't that right at the end? Is having hope? It's not hope. It's acceptance. Okay. Um, it's acceptance, and the last stage is called officially called testing. I guess you could put it in the in the hope, but it, it, it's more like um, yeah. Once you've accepted it, then you have hope for the new life now. So that's where the hope comes in, and then you go out and you start testing your new reality. Um, that's the you know, so I guess optimism and hope is needed for that testing phase. But again, it's highly individual. Is there a lot of guilt that goes along with um, at, at the end of your grief when you do have hope and you start feeling happy? Is Do you notice that there's a lot of people that feel guilty for starting to become happy without their loved one that's passed? That, that does happen. And I feel uh, from my personal experience that most often that's the case when there's a lot of regret or shame or unexpressed anger still remaining from the relationship and the memories. Okay. Because I know um, when we, we get together as a family, almost mm -hmm. the, when we have birthday parties or whatever, that the absence, the feeling of the absence of my dad, because we, we all love my dad. We all got along. We're a close family. But just having that absence, um, you feel it. It's palpable that he's not there. You know, he was the, the hierarchy. He was the man of the house. And so uh -huh. it's almost like a guilty feeling like we're continuing so and we're having happy times without him. So when you guys get together, do you, do you raise a glass to him? Do you? Sometimes, sometimes we'll do a toast and we get together for his birthday. We, we acknowledge his birthday instead of the day that he passed. I um, love that. By eating like, you know, his favorite food and it's in the mm. summer. So we try and acknowledge that, that he was here and with us instead of the day that he left us. So we tried to take that kind of spin, but I don't know. It just seems like the times that we get together for happy things is is almost the hardest it makes it yes, more difficult I agree. yeah i agree like i completely understand what you're saying because when my mother died i always found myself crying the most a on my birthday and b on her birthday oh. on her death anniversary really i mean i don't know aside from just going to like light a candle i i've rarely been moved by that date yeah. So I guess it's basically because there are so many memories of my birthday, knowing my dad, my mother is not going to wish me on my birthday, not going to be able to wish me on my birthday. When it's her birthday, there were so many, you know, memories of her birthdays. So I guess it's probably the, the, the memory thing again. And what I try to do now is just to be so happy when I'm happy. And the spin that I put is, like if I was in your position making the toast to my dad on his birthday, then my first thing would be thank you for giving birth to me so that I'm here today. Oh, and I would celebrate that. I would be in gratitude for the stuff that he's done, not for the stuff that he didn't do. Because that's another problem that we have as human beings. We Even if you have like a great relationship with your dad, I'm sure you had fights, right? So sure. The Right. So the problem with death that we also encounter is that we tend to just sanctify the person once they've passed, <laughs> completely sanitize them and make them like saint something or the other when they weren't. Right. There right. are there are a lot of other memories that we can share, but we choose not to. Right. So it's about bringing that into the mix so that it's healthy and it's real, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah, that makes sense. That's so like, remember true. the time the dad was an asshole, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's true. You know, you just want to think of him so fondly because you feel almost like it's sacrilegious to think of the uh-huh. negative. But yeah. yeah. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Natasha, I have learned so much from you. This is so amazing. I love that you're getting the topic out there. And I knew when I saw you post that on Facebook, that that's what you talked about. I was like, I need to have her on. I need to, because it does need to be out there. People, uh, it is a fact of life that we're all going to die. So it might as well be a topic. Yes. Yes. Okay. So um, I will go ahead and put in the show notes where to find you and about your books and all that stuff. But thank you again so much for your time. I appreciate it so much. Thank you for finding me, Dawn, and reaching out. And, you know, it took us a while to come across the table (laughs) to each other, but I'm so glad we did. I had an amazing conversation. Thank you so much for having me. Thank Thank you. Thank you. And I'll be in touch. Have a great day. All right. You too. Bye. Bye. Bye.